Welcome to the Leadership Secrets Podcast, where we bring you no BS, practical advice from the experts that are doing it. Now, here's your host, Lee Lissomby. All right, welcome to the Leadership Secrets Podcast. This is your host, Lee Lissomby. This is your no BS leadership podcast where we bring you the people who are actually doing it, not bringing you coaches and consultants who've never done it. We're, take, we're taking directly to leaders and giving you their secrets for what they're doing, what works for them. And today is no different. Today we have a very, very important guest on, special guest, uh, Master Chief, Navy SEAL Master Chief Stephen Drum is on the show. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hey, Lee. Happy Friday. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I greatly appreciate this. You're my not only my first military person on here, but my first SEAL team member on here. So that's a very special, very special day for us. So Stephen uh, has 27 years of service. Uh, he deployed and led high-performance teams in combat at every level and in the most challenging extreme environments. Uh, he is a principal architect of the co- and co-creator of the U.S. Navy's Warrior Toughness Program. He is a professional speaker, trainer, and author, helping leaders and teams optimize their performance and execute in challenging and high-pressure situations. His first book, Life on the X, which we're going to get into, a Navy SEAL's uh, guide to meeting any challenge uh, with courage, confidence, and readiness, Expected to launch March 2022, I believe. We're going to talk about that a little bit. How's it going today, Stephen? Doing pretty well. Closing out the closing out the week strong. Yeah. Uh, bunch of calls today, but uh, looking forward to a nice, relaxing weekend. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope we can. That would be nice. Uh, if you don't mind, just give the listeners a little bit about yourself. Maybe I mean I gave you a bit of intro there, but maybe some background what you're currently doing, maybe some passions of yours. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I grew up in a suburb outside of Philadelphia and joined the Navy in 1992 to be a SEAL. Unfortunately, my math skills were really, really bad. And so I ended up, instead of going to SEAL training, I did not qualify to be a SEAL. So I ended up working as almost like a Navy plumber. It's called a whole maintenance technician. Lee, you probably heard of HTs, right? And I ended up getting sent up to Groton, Connecticut, where I was basically like a plumber on submarines, on on fast attack submarines. And it was not what I wanted to be, but it was not a bad experience. In fact, I fell in with a good mentor and he kind of helped train a bunch of us that wanted to be SEALs, took it on his own time. Uh, He was a former SEAL. He took uh, took it on his own to train us up and get us better. And I, I honestly think that probably without that couple years to season and to be better prepared. Ultimately, I'm not sure that I would have made it through training. Um, and so from there, I uh, went to SEAL training 1996, graduated uh, BUDS class 203, uh, showed up on the East Coast uh, SEAL team two. And I really spent the rest of my career there in Virginia Beach, uh, a couple of different teams, some training commands. And the last place I ended up before I retired was uh, they say, hey, Drummy, you've never been anywhere. You got to move. I was getting ready to make my my last pay grade, and they're like, you, you're you can't stay here anymore. <laughs> I'm like, all right, you know, because nobody wants to leave. You got your kids in school, wife's got a job, and so I ended up picking, believe it or not, to come out here to Great Lakes, where the Navy's boot camp is. 
Great Lakes, which is north of Chicago, and kind of been here since 2015. And the last thing that I was able to actually be really fortunate to be a part of was I was basically approached by the senior admiral out here, and he said, hey, we need to get our, our young officers and our sailors, we need to get them tougher. We need you, a clinical psychologist and a Navy chaplain, to build a program to get our sailors tougher. And so we went about and did that, designed a program at the Navy's boot camp. And and from there, I decided, hey, this is something I really think would benefit people in the business world, right? Not only just, you know, other areas like athletics and special operations, which is a lot of what it comes from, but like people that have got to be in the hot seat, right? Whether you're talking about sales, whether you're talking about a new manager leading a team for the first time. So I really made, I translated that kind of curriculum, a lot of it to based in addition to my own experiences to, um, you know, bring it to the business world and, and start my own speaking training business. So that was a, I just had some coffee. So that was like a really long uh, diatribe mouthful. So <laughs> sorry, Lee. No, you're good, man. I was, uh, I was going to ask you about that warrior the Navy's uh, Warrior Toughness Program, because I went through boot camp and there was no no program like that. So I guess that's the reason you just created it recently. Uh, so that Warrior Toughness Program, is it for all enlisted or how's that work? Who, who's enrolled in that program? Yeah, so right now it's for all the, the entry-level program, the basic program, as, as I understand it, the latest news that I'm aware of is that everybody that goes through Navy boot camp gets it, all enlisted sailors, and yeah. officers that go through ROTC, Reserve Officer um, Training, you know, the guys that basically, guys and gals that get, you know, the college paid for, right, they go through, and then they, they go to... Um, to officer candidate school and then anybody who who just goes to offer uh, officer candidate school they will get that training the naval academy they still are kind of doing their own thing and what they're trying to figure out now is really how to how to get it inculcated in the follow-on training like the service schools a schools and then how to kind of ramp it up even further uh in the fleet itself okay so is it a mental and physical toughness or is it just one or the other yeah, yeah, so it's a great it's a great question. And so first, like, you know, I'll answer that question with, you know, we we'd always have to brief our program to senior military leaders, right? Foreign, uh, other services, senators, congressmen, uh, and the question would always ask because you know we have in the in the Navy called operational stress control, which is our program to basically if you've been through a traumatic event, it's kind of like that resilience piece where it gets you kind of from red back to yellow, back to green, and back into the fight, back into your job. And we'd always say, well, no, we defined toughness as this, right? And it's a broad term. So okay. it's always toughness versus resilience. So toughness, we define it in three ways. First, you got to be able to take a hit and keep going, right? Missiles being fired at ships. You see your friends wounded, killed in front of you. You got to get back up. Maybe you're wounded yourself. Get back in, save the ship, return fire, and fight the enemy, right? But it also translates to the other dimensions of your life where maybe you didn't get that promotion you were hoping for. Maybe you suffered kind of a loss in relationship, right? Or a loss of a loved one. And that's the resilient piece, right? Take a hit, get back on the horse, get back in the fight, whatever that looks like to you. Two, you got to be able to perform under pressure, right? Extreme pressure, right? And that, you think about it in the military, that's bullets flying, that's high-risk training, that's being in front of a client, a customer, you know, again, being a new manager, being a new leader on the front line and, you know, people are, are looking for you. You got to demonstrate uh, capability and credibility. 
And, and then three is to deal with the day in day out grind. And so, you know, Lee, you're in the Navy. You probably had deployments that were super high in tempo, at least in the SEAL teams we had, where you're going out every night and after a six month deployment, you're really tired. You're kind of starting to get burned out. Yeah. But there's also deployments where there's not much going on. And if you think it's somebody who's watching a radar screen in the Navy, right? 99.9% .9 of the time, nothing's going on. But the one time that they become disengaged, ships collide and people get killed. Right. So it's really how to deal with that piece is having the, the discipline and the stamina to stay engaged. And so within that, obviously, is the mind, body, soul. Right. Is the character component, the soul piece, the spirituality piece. It's not religious necessarily, but it's really being able to have ensure that you're somebody who can be relied on, that, that sees yourself very clearly with what you bring to the world and the most important situations and the most important people. And, and the body is the physical component, right? Is is hard training, is is making sure that you are in good physical condition because that's you're you're gonna mentally perform better as well. Uh and so it's those those areas really that it, that the the word toughest program addressed okay. addresses. Wow. Dang. Shit, Steven, I, I love your energy, man. <laughs> that was Coffee. a good well, they got me fired up. <laughs> Uh-oh. I lost you. You back? You throws yep, up. gotcha. Okay. Good thing for editing. Yeah, I'll edit that out. Man, that got me fired up. I like that. Uh, so, and by the way, I was thinking about you're at Virginia Beach. I was at Virginia Beach as well. And at, at SEAL base, we used to go play golf out there all the time. And man, it was fun because you see people out there in the water diving, but you didn't know they was diving for golf balls and there were seals in training. <laughs> like, is that a seal or is that a golf ball guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's fun. Uh, all right. So one thing that I'm big about is personal development. Man, I kind of picked that up from the military and I'm sure you have too. It seems like everybody I know from the military is big in the personal development. But I see some leaders, well, some do, some don't. I see that great leaders are doing this. And they got personal development habits, whether it's a morning routine, you know, meditation, prayer, nutrition, you know, fitness, exercise. Can you maybe explain what your current personal development habits are? Yeah, and so and this is, you know, I don't want to jump ahead for maybe a question, but one of the things that I teach people, right, is to have a personal mission statement, right? Okay. To really identify kind of, who you are, what you stand for, and how you respond when things get challenging, when things get tough. And so part of having that mission statement really is when it comes to professionally, when it comes to personal development is the number one line in my mission statement is, I work to get better every day, even if it's just a little bit, right? And obviously there's times when I do vacation, but generally every single day, I'm gonna be doing something physical, something mental. And sometimes that might only be, I'm going to do a walk around for recovery. Like, you know, I'm to the point now where I started to get older. I got to be more careful with my recovery. And, you know, I, I hit it hard. And the next day I'll probably do some light cardio and I'll walk around the neighborhood for 20 to 60 minutes, maybe with a weight vest. And I'm also thinking while I'm doing that, I'm thinking about um, 
just being mindful. Like instead of letting my mind water on wander, I'm focusing on like street signs. I'm focusing on the ground, my foot hitting the ground. I'm focusing on looking at the leaves, what I smell, what I feel, right? Just to make sure that I'm kind of finding a way to practice being more present. In addition, I'll do daily mindfulness exercises if I don't do the mindful walking. But I also try to make sure that I'm doing something physical. I also try to make sure that I'm working in my business on my business, right? And that includes continue, continuing to develop my craft as a professional speaker, right? To make sure that I'm, I'm always improving. Every time I go out on stage in front of an audience, uh, whether it's virtually, whether it's in person, that it's better than the last time, that it's more intentional, that I, and I continue to do that. And so one of the other things that I really started to do during COVID was really being more intentional with identifying and being grateful for the things in my life. So yeah. I kind of start every day with a gratitude exercise because I found myself early in COVID when I'm ripping up checks because all my gigs got canceled and I was not ready as a speaker to pivot into the virtual space just yet that I found myself getting really frustrated, right? I was so excited to get out of the military and hit the ground running and now everything just got shut down. But then I had to kind of really step away and say, you know what? You are better off than a ton of people out there. You need to be grateful for that. And, and guess what? You get to see your kids a lot more after you've been gone on deployments, be grateful for that. And here's what else. You may not be able to, to spread and do the public speaking gigs like you want to do, but guess what? You can still push out your message. Well, fundamentally, how you do it may differ, but what you're doing is try to push out value to the world and you can still find a way to do that. And I did. And so I continue to be grateful. I do gratitude exercises every day because it yeah. helps you know, keep things in perspective when they might not be going your way. I, I started that gratitude exercise about six months ago and it, it's totally changed my life. But man, I've read, uh, you know, most leadership books talk about attitude or emotional intelligence. And I've read that and read that, trying to get better, trying to get better. And I still have a poor emotional intelligence at times. Then I started practicing these gratitude exercises and my attitude has completely changed. But it, it's been uh, very impactful for me. I'm glad you brought that up. But excellent. So education is another thing that I try to stress for a lot of new leaders. Uh, well, really any leader. I think we're all students of leadership. I've never met someone who told me they were an, an expert at leadership. So I think we all need to study, not to mention leadership evolves over time anyway. It's almost impossible to be an expert if it's constantly evolving. You, uh, as far as professional development, do you have any personal development habits right now you're currently doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I always try. I mean, a lot of it's podcasts, right? Because that way I can, like, yeah. the days that I'm not doing mindful walking and I'm just like, hey, I want to just go out and do a recovery walk, I'm going to listen to some podcasts. Uh, my good friend Jim Vasilopoulos, uh, it's a mouthful, right? Uh, he has a great uh, podcast called podcast. The Leadership Podcast. So <laughs> I, I encourage your uh, audience, when they're not listening to you, that they go check that podcast out too, and they've got a, a bunch of different things. I read because a lot of what I discuss is, is – really about the performance under pressure element. So I'm big on reading psychology today and, and things like that. I, I crack open uh, leadership books, uh, one of my favorite ones that I always recommend. It, it's maybe at a bit of a higher level. 
Um, but it is um, a team of teams by uh, retired General Stanley McChrystal. I just think it's it's a uh, insightful look at how you kind of manage all the different teams within an organization, all the different groups, how you manage partnerships outside of your immediate organization or your immediate sphere. So that's always a good book that I recommend. Yeah, it's a really good book. I wish brings us a question. We're going to skip ahead a little bit, but I always, my, my favorite, I always recommend this book, uh, It's Your Ship. I don't know if you ever read it or not. By, uh, I, I haven't, no. But okay. is that the same guy that wrote Turn the Ship Around? Or is that a different no, guy? Different guy, different guy. Yeah. This guy took the uh, most underperforming ship in the Navy fleet and turned it into the best performing ship within three years of being the captain of it, just the commanding officer. How he did it was just fantastic. That's an incredible book. A lot of leadership lessons. Right, I'm in. Write it down. I'm writing it down. And that one you talked about, Turn the Ship Around. I haven't read that yet, but I heard about it a couple times. I need to pick that one up. No, I haven't read that one either, but yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, so again, most of our viewers are either first-time leaders, frontline leaders. Uh, if you were to give advice to any new leader, someone who's just been promoted, what advice would you give them? Um, there's a lot there. Where to begin? Uh, I think one of the things, you know, when I – I was, I had various, you know, just like the Navy, right? You're, you're growing, you're, you're developing, you have your different wickets, right? You have what's called a, in the Navy, it's a leading petty officer, which is, you know, you think of that in Army and Marine Corps, as, you know, as a sergeant, a staff sergeant, an E6 petty officer. And that's really where you're first exposed to leadership. And so I, I was my first leadership position in, in that. And before that team leaders where you're managing kind of four or five guys, but my first real leadership position of significance was when I was a platoon chief, right? So I'm the senior enlisted leader for, at the time, an 18-man SEAL platoon. And so I work under a platoon commander, and, and I think we had a great relationship. And the leadership relationships, you know, for the, those that aren't military, the senior enlisted leader runs the day-to-day, -day, right? Runs the guys, runs the gals, and as a SEAL chief it's tactics it's weapons it's equipment and even on the battlefield i'm the one who is managing the maneuver elements right we're going to clear the structure over here we're going to flank right on the enemy and i'm checking in with the, the ground force commander which is my commander and he is kind of managing the overall he's overall in command but he's managing the whole battlefield picture which includes all your layers of support assets it includes communication with the headquarters and, and just basically me reporting to him and so i say all that to say that when you are in a leadership position expectations roles and responsibilities are probably the two most important elements as a new leader right expectations with the people because maybe these are people that you've worked with, right? And now you're the one that got promoted, which may happen in, in the organizations, the people listening. You've got to understand, you're like, hey, I was your buddy last week. Here's what's expected of me. Here's how I'm going to lead you. Here's the responsibilities that I have for the people that I report to. Here's what I need from all of you. Here's your left and right limits. And we got to frequently check in to make sure that we're all, that I'm holding myself accountable as a leader. Right. Because it's, you know, not only am I providing whatever top cover and protection, 
for them, the people that I'm leading, I'm also listening to them, making sure they're heard, but I'm also holding them accountable. Now, when it comes to the roles and responsibilities, now that also involves the people that I work for, right? If you have multiple managers, let's say you have a, a regional manager versus a district manager, it's like, who's responsible for what? You know, that has to be very clear in the military because the enlisted guy is very much responsible for certain things. The officer is responsible for other things. And you want to be very clearly defined who's responsible. So roles, responsibilities, and really expectations, what's expected of you, and how you're going to hold people accountable, how you're going to demonstrate accountability as a leader yourself. Yeah. Man, that was excellent. You hit on one of my I guess pet peeves, but something I'm bad at sometimes as well. But we promote these people from within almost all the time to these frontline leadership positions. And it's really been the last couple of years with COVID and the great resignations of 2021, we had so much turnover. And that turnover is in all positions, mostly the frontline positions, but we uh, are constantly promoting these frontline leaders. And we're very good at training them for the administrative task. Maybe some rural responsibilities, but we're not very good at training them on leadership. Like, all right, you were their buddy, you know, two days ago, but now you're their boss. And that whole dynamic is just so powerful. That's where I see most of these people failing is in that aspect of it. And as a company, we, we want to train them on the spreadsheets and reports and what they need to do for their job. But we're not that great at training them on how they need to lead those people. And they have the most leadership responsibilities in most cases, that even when the company. Well, and, and that's a great point, right? And I know you've, I know you've heard this expression in the Navy, right? It's a very, it's a cliche. And when it comes to leadership in the military, you manage things, right? You manage spreadsheets, you manage timelines, you manage budgets, you manage those things, but you lead people. Mm -hmm. And to your point, that's often let out, right? If you look at somebody who's a good technician. They're good professionally at their job. They're good as a sales rep, whatever that is. That doesn't equate to them being able to now manage people underneath them because it requires a leadership skill set. If you want to be have people good at their job, they need to possess skills. They need to possess tools. How are you giving them those tools? Now, what I would always implore to organizations, there's great organizations out there, Johnson & Johnson, Enterprise Rental Car, they're legendary for their, they're legendary for their sales development, their, their personal development leadership training. That's why people go there. But I would always encourage organizations to think about having that. Think about having leadership develop training specifically for the people where they learn those people's skills, where they learn how to hold people accountable, where they learn how to make tough decisions. And, and that's essential. And, and it, it's short of that, in, in the other expression we have in the Navy, as a Navy chief, right, I had a master chief I worked for, he says every day you should be working to train your replacement, which right. means you're mentoring people to take your job one day. And, and so in a lot of companies, because of you mentioned the high turnover rate, there is a reluctance to pour leadership and development investment capital into their workforce because they're saying, well, why am I going to waste my time doing that? Why am I going to waste money doing that? They're going to be gone in, in a couple of months by the next quarter. It, and what I say back to that is you make yourself the place known 
as the leadership development place. You know, one of the people I interviewed for my book was this gal named Kristen Hadid. And she started this company literally right out of college called Student Made, M-A-I-D, right? So where basically she floundered it first, but she basically took all these students and had contracts to clean all these different um, facilities, commercial areas, but also residential housing. But she became known as the company, Student Made became known as the company that actually would train people. So people would show up just for the leadership training and she'd have to say, you know, you gotta clean houses too. But it was so successful that she actually changed her model from student made to student made M-A-D-E, where she solely focused on just leadership development. And the companies that do that will attract some of the best employees. You'll develop the people that you have internal. Yes, will you lose some? Yeah, you may lose a lot, but it's still going to be worth it, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I could even argue you might lose less because then you have your culture. I mean, like, to me, there's so many pieces of turnover, but that culture piece, I think, is huge for why people want to stay. It's not all about the money. We talk about this on some other podcasts of mine, but everyone thinks it's the money keeping people there, but you can go anywhere and make that money right now, especially. It's more about the culture. Well, that's right. Yeah. A lot of people think that it's just the money. Right. We we look at another great book um, worth exploring is, is Dan Pink's book called Drive, where basically talks about the motivations and incentives. Right. And it's always often there's so much emphasis placed on just the monetary piece. Right. Just the compensation piece, just the perks. And to your point, not enough time truly spent on the cultural aspects. Right. Is in ensuring that people feel like they're a part of something greater than themselves, right? They feel like they are directly contributing to helping their organization do great things in the world and that they're being heard, they're being listened to. And that doesn't mean that every time somebody's got a bright idea, you know, at the deck plate level, at the, at the front, on the front line, that it's implemented, but your leadership is taking their time to get out of the office, to circulate, and to meet with a cross-section of all the people within your enterprise, right? And if you're not willing to do that, then your people aren't going to fully trust the leaders, the organizations that they work for. Yeah, absolutely. I always try to put myself in the shoes of the people leaving work that day, you know, leaving their shift, and were they were they fulfilled that day? You know, are they leaving like this burned out? How, how are they exiting that building that day? They feel fulfilled. They have a purpose. They're excited. They have a passion for what they're doing. Or they they leave them there with their head down, just burned out and I, yeah, everything you just hit on is great, man. Appreciate that. Well, sometimes we get so like organizations they become so fixated, right? And it's you know, and I understand it, right? It, it's you're trying to keep your head above water at times. Things are so difficult that you're trying to, especially when you got to answer to a board, you got to answer to various uh, shareholders, stakeholders uh, outside. But at the end of the day, it's like, hey, it requires some courage and some discipline to stop and say, all right, let's press pause today. And let's have somebody just work on a project that lights them up, that fulfills them. How can we pour back into the people, right? Because it's like anything, right? It's like doing maintenance on a car, right? You pour back into the people that serve you that you're gonna get, you're gonna get a higher level of performance out of them. And again, yeah. what are you gonna save on turnover? Yeah, a ton. Turnovers kill them. I mean, killing businesses right now. 
every time you lose somebody, that's just all that training experience, everything out the door. You got to start over from square one. It's uh, that cost is high. All right. Uh, so the, the episode or this podcast is called Leadership Secrets. And the premise behind it is I feel like there's a there's stuff that people are doing. I think every leader has been unique that I've worked for. Every commanding officer I've worked for, every master chief I've worked for, uh, even uh, CEOs of companies that I've worked for, they all do things differently. And these things they're doing isn't necessarily in a leadership book. There's this, they have a different philosophy, whether it's business, life, leadership. Uh, what are things that you think more leaders should be doing that most aren't? There's a couple things, right? I think the, one of the first things, I don't know if, I won't say this is the more, most important, but it's definitely one that pops up uh, in mind, right? And this is really, really essential for new managers. It's understanding situational leadership, right? And, and I, I read it in the, uh, the book I, I wrote, I write about how one of the gals that I worked with, that I interviewed, she became she became promoted again we talked about it right no intentional leadership development right but she was a rock star uh medical device rep uh and and so they fleeted her up into a position where now she was uh, a regional manager and so she's managing all the other people and as and, and things were going great for a while until because she, they, they almost had a monopoly on the product that they had but then all of a sudden they had competition that emerged and now things got really hard and now she turned from a manager to like a super rep meaning that she started basically telling people exactly how they need to do it right and, and the, the more stress she got the more she micromanaged right and i think at a I certain point it's like you need to be so in tuned with how your people, where they are in the stage of their career, where they are in terms of their strengths and their weaknesses. Right now, it is okay. Like if I'm leading a new team, I'm going to tell them, hey, expect a level of what we call in the Navy, right? Intrusive leadership. Expect some heavier hands-on, dare you say, micromanagement. That's how we're doing things out the gates to establish where we both are, right? Because I want to quickly establish trust. I want to quickly ensure that I can have you and be empowered to execute. Then I want to start pushing away. But I need to know where people are. Is that new person that I'm working with, are they right out of a trade school, right? Are they right out of college? Where are they? Do they need high levels of skill management? Do they need that, that, that tight hands-on approach? Or on the other side of the spectrum, are they so seasoned? Are they so experienced? that now all I'm doing is trying to bulldoze obstacles out of their way and push them resources so they can continue to go out there and kick butt. So it's two very different, you know, leadership interventions. That's, that's powerful. Currently uh, at this time I'm, I'm working full-time job, but I have a, a leader that I'm mentoring that, I'm trying to tell him the exact same thing because he just took over and he's having problems in his with his team, but that's the main reason right there. There's a book, The One Minute Manager. I don't really like the title of it, but it goes through that almost exactly the way you put it with the quadrants. When the person's brand new, they need more micromanaging. As they go through these other quadrants, uh, 
they need less and less micromanaging. It's, it's a wealth that trust and that influence. And at some point, they need very little supervision at all. But uh, yeah, great point. Your your book is called Life on the X. Can you tell the listeners what X means? Yeah, great question. So, you know, in the military, and I I don't know how you know ubiquitous a term it is, but I know like the the battle line units use it, right? It's the ground force units. The X, think about it. It's a doctrine term, right? X kind of marks the spot. Like you land on the objective, right? If I land fast rope out of a helicopter on a rooftop, we refer to that as landing on the X. If we're driving in our armored vehicles up to the front door, right? We're driving up to the X, putting the breaching charge in the door, boom, going in. As opposed to kind of something that would be a Y, which is like 300 yards out or an offset where you're patrolling into the objective. And so the metaphor there is everything, the most dangerous part of an operation, the most critical part in execution often is on that X because we also use it if we're patrolling down the street and the enemy shoots at us, the enemy ambushes us. In that case, we got to get off the X, right? We got to get out of that kill zone. Your ability to succeed in the case of a military situation, your ability to bring everybody home alive to accomplish your objective really depends on your ability to show up well-trained, well-prepared, but able to have the mental capacity to execute when the pressure's on, right? And, you know, for most of the people listening to this podcast, you're not going to get shot at every day, but what is your X? Because you probably have one, right? You have one where it's a leadership situation. Things go sideways and you got to make a course correction. You got to step up and you got to put your emotions. You got to quiet that excitement, that fear, that anxiety, and you got to deliver a message that needs to be heard that's well timed. It could be after a crappy week, stressful day. You go home, you walk through the front door of your house, and the other side of that door is a couple of screaming kids and a stressed out spouse, right? You're on the X there too, because people, <laughs> just like at work, <laughs> right? They rely on your ability to manage, to lead, to be effective partners. So, you know, we all have those moments and and it's all about being deliberate with how do I set the table to be effective in all the most important moments in my life? Wow, that's, that's excellent. That kind of reminds me of like my morning routine that the reason behind it is is because I hate being late. I hate the anxiety of you know, rolling out of bed at the last minute, rushing to work. You know, I'm just not in that right middle state. I feel like I'm way off the X. So, you know, it may take me a few few hours in the morning to get myself prepared for the day to be there for my for my team. But yeah, it's so this book is written for is it the any audience? Is it a particular audience you wrote it for? You know, I always try to be clear when I speak, when I train, my message is not for everyone, right? And I think I don't try to cast too wide of a net. I'll be honest, anybody who wants to be better at something, the book is for somebody that is very hungry to level up their performance, right? Is that, that could be as a parent, that could be as a spouse, it could be as somebody in sales. The people that I most often speak to are people in sales, are people that actually have a high pressure, right? Executive leaders, uh, people that have to, to manage stressful, dangerous situations. And they have to be able to be, you know, situationally aware. They have to be agile, and they have to be able to kind of maintain their composure when the, when the stakes are high. So that's really who's my book. My book is for. Excellent. So it's yeah, it's, it's a lot of people. That, a lot of people need that kind of help too. That's my kind of book. 
So, Stephen, uh, that's the end of our podcast. Uh, can you tell the listeners where they can follow you, where they can find you? Yeah, I would love, like, you know, find me where uh, where most people are found in the professional space, right? LinkedIn, Stephen Drum, you can... I, I do some, I'm increasing my online presence a little bit, my social media presence. So, uh, you know, LinkedIn, Stephen Drum, I'm, I'm Stephen Drum on um, Instagram, but yeah, you go to my website and you can follow along there. It's, it's stephendrum.com, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-D-R-U-M.com. Send me an email at steve at stephendrum.com and uh, get the updates on my book. And, you know, if you sign up early, you can get uh, some good content, some free content. Okay. Oh, nice. So, so there's a pre-order link on your website? It's not a link yet. We're not ready for pre-orders yet, but there is like what I call a weekly warning order. And basically it's like uh, as we ramp it up, you'll basically get some content, some tips every week to help you up-level your performance when the stakes are high. Oh, nice. Okay. Like a, like a newsletter? Yeah. Excellent. Well, Stephen, it's an absolute pleasure and honor uh, to have you on my podcast. Uh, to share the screen with a hero like you, man, it's incredible. I appreciate everything you've done, you are doing. You're still helping a lot of people, and I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this podcast right here. So uh, thanks for all of you done, and thanks for being here today. And I'll uh, I'll catch up with you sometime down the road. I don't know when, but I can't, look, I can't wait to read your book. I know that. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Thank you for tuning in to the Leadership Secrets Podcast. Please join us next time as we bring you more leadership secrets from the people who are actually doing it. See you soon.